It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. From the Radionomy News Center, I'm Jack Murphy. Front run of Donald Trump has been rallying backers in Michigan. USA. This is car country, so Trump did discuss autos. Because everyone knows all I talk about is cars. But his favorite subject was how he demolished foes Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio in the Detroit debate. Or Little Marco, as he calls him. He had a very, very bad night, according to the various polls. He lost uh, the debate badly. And Cruz is now officially Lion Ted. That's amazing. No matter what you say with Ted, he'll change it. He'll do whatever he has to do. At a community college in Warren, Michigan, Trump told backers after the debate, it's clear the others are going down. Two 14-year-old boys from southwestern Ohio charged Friday at a misdemeanor for failing to report that a fellow student had taken a gun and used it in shooting and wounding four students, Butler County Sheriff's Office said. James Austin Hancock, 14, pleaded not guilty Tuesday to a number of charges, including two accounts of attempted murder stemming from a Monday shooting in the cafeteria at Madison Junior Senior High School in Middletown, about 38 miles north of Cincinnati. Hancock showed the gun to the two boys earlier in the school day. The sheriff's statement said these boys had knowledge of the suspect. They had the gun at school and they didn't tell anyone, Sheriff Jones said in a statement. It's imperative that there's a rumor of first-hand knowledge about any type of weapon or weapons that somebody has or intending to bring to school needs to be reported to someone, the sheriff said. Hancock is being held in juvenile detention center. The Cook brothers, most powerful conservative mega donors in the United States, will not repeat, not use their $400 million political arsenal to try to block Republican frontrunner Donald Trump path to the presidential nomination. Spokesman told Reuters on Wednesday, the decision by the billionaire industrious, another setback for the Republican establishment's efforts to derail the New York real estate mogul's bid for the White House. You're up to date from the Radionomies. I'm Jack From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. <laughs> The following program is intended for immature audiences only. Online. 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 You're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a live caller interactive talk show. Whatever's on your mind, heavy, light, or otherwise, give Bill a ring at 724-444-7444. ID 1832. Now, sit back and strap in for another edition of Online with Bill Alexander. Like a gambler on a street. Looks like everything's going my way. 
and smiling at me There's the smell of sweet perfume Now there's only one thing left to say What the hell were you thinking? What the hell were you talking about? <laughs> Was it something you're drinking? Did you care when the bottle fell out? What the hell were you drinking? And tell me what the hell to do now. Good Friday evening, everyone. You're truly William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander, the Medio Show, for a Friday night. I believe it's the 4th of March. I could be wrong. Yes, it is the 4th of March, 2016. Hope everything's going fine for you. Something new this evening. Someone last week or a couple weeks ago said we need to be streaming video of this. So we're on Periscope tonight. All you have to do is look online with Bill Alexander and uh, see what I look like. It's a one-sided conversation because you won't be able to hear my caller on the line. That uh, My guest, I should say, what we'll be talking to in just a few moments. But you'll be able to see what's going on behind the scenes if that's what you're into. But I don't know why, but hey, why not? Anyhow, phone number for the Hootenanny tonight, 724-444-7444-1832 is the TalkCast ID number. Again, yours truly, Bill Alexander, with you on a Friday night, a cold and chilly one in southwestern Pennsylvania. Have the opportunity this evening to go to the movies. That's right. (laughs) I went to the movies. It's an odd thing. But the best part is... I saw the movie originally 30 years ago when I was 19, which is hard to believe that I saw Back to the Future at a, you know, at a big screen tonight with my uh, my 11-year-old son, which was quite enjoyable, which, had, again, hard to believe that uh, that movie still has staying power to this day. And uh, we were quoting the movie, and I was getting elbowed every time I was going, damn, damn, damn. <laughs> But anyhow, I had fun with that tonight, and uh, unfortunately, we weren't doing the program last October, November, whenever the uh, 30th anniversary of the time travel date into the future actually happened, but uh, but uh, I guess if you're not familiar with the movie, you can watch it and find out what we're talking about, but it, with a sad moment, it was a bunch of us old guys that saw the original movie and in 1985, realized that once we got past that date in November, all three movies were officially in the past. But hey, go figure. I wish this election could be in the past. And there's a meme floating around Facebook right now of when Marty McFly realized that Donald Trump was president. It was. It was. It's a very good meme because it's making fun of Biff, is what it is. But uh, we'll probably talk about this that this evening also. We're going to talk about the election, Super Tuesday, the debate last night, and everything else going on in the wonderful world of politics. Phone number four, the Hootenanny is seven two four 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 seven four 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 one eight three two. It's the Talkcast ID number. And on the phone line, joining us again another week, a month later, almost to the day. Darren Christopher, how are you doing tonight, Darren? Good, how are you? Doing real good. So did you watch the debate last night? <laughs> I watched about as much of it as most people can tolerate. Well, <laughs> I, I, I watched the whole thing. It, the the oh, entertainment yeah? value of the debate is better than pretty much anything else on TV. Yeah, it's also just a lot of tinges of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think you have to concede. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the defining moment of that, other than, uh, you know, all of the penis references, of course, <laughs> which, which is, uh, 
you know, pretty similar thing happened in the Lincoln-Douglas debate. I'm sure it did, yeah. But, you know, they really gave them all the opening when they asked them, are you going to support Trump (laughs) if he's the nominee? And I think, uh, you know, that's the moment uh, John Kasich's going to replay in his head the rest of his life. Uh, And it just shows uh, how they're still enthralled to the force that's that's given rise to Trump, that none of them are still willing to say what's obvious, that none of them should be supporting him. Which is amazing to me that it looks to me like it's this win at all costs now. They don't care who the candidate, as long as there's a Republican in the White House. Yeah. Well, you can see how the incentives are different for the folks who are out of the game in terms of uh, Romney and McCain and folks who are trying to look ahead to what's going to come next as opposed to the now, people who are still in the hunt and trying to not piss off all of the people who are supporting him in case we get to uh, the brokered convention scenario, which you know, there's a lot we can get to if you want. Now, there's <laughs> an interesting thing about it, too, and I heard this. Um, it was either – it must have been this morning that the White House, in a lot of ways, if if Trump would, would win the White House, which no one's saying that he's going to be able to beat the, whoever the Democratic candidate is, uh-huh. That they're, we're worried about the House and Senate seats if Trump is, Trump is the nomination because the House and Senate are going to be running the opposite direction from him. Right. And you may actually see it. I don't think it may this time, but maybe in two years you'll see Democratic control again. I mean, it could, it could happen this time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't have that statistic in front of me, but I mean, I've seen that that concept floated around and I don't think that the Democrats ever floated the idea that they could retake the majority before. Uh, there's just so many variables still at this point. Now, Ben Carson pulled out of the Got debate out. on what a Tuesday, I guess it was, or Wednesday, he pulled out of the debate. And then today, officially he said, I'm out of the race. Totally. It took him three days. Uh, he does that just as slow as he does everything else. And he thought why he decided he was going to do this in two steps and not all at the same time? Yeah, that's an an interesting question. Uh, I I imagine he was still trying to find some viable viable path uh, to keep paying his consultants. As I understand it, a lot of people have done pretty well off of the – that campaign in terms of the fundraising and right. not a whole lot of return in terms of votes. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not really certain why he didn't pull the plug right then other than trying to maybe see if there would be one last uh, explosion at the debate that maybe he could capitalize on by not being there. And I and I uh, was talking to a few people the other day that said if, if Ben Carson would have came out and said he was going to give everybody what he was taking – to make him so relaxed and so sedate, he probably would have won the election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the stories we heard about him and the parody that Saturday Night Live, Live did about him being an angry young black man, throwing right, his right. with a hammer and stabbing his friend in a belt buckle, right. <laughs> you never saw the man get angry. You never saw him get riled up. Even um, Even the debate that was last week, when he came out, and I wish I would have talked to you then, he made the comment, he goes, please, someone attack me so I can say something. 
uh-huh. which I thought and, was really And there was because, the fruit salad line. We have to look at the fruit salad of their lives about the <laughs> Supreme Court justices. I'm not sure where he was going with that. Well, the other uh, one I thought was interesting, too, out of that debate is he goes, these hands okay. saved lives. And I'm going, okay, that's nice. What the heck are they doing now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to the extent that uh, I'd consider Ben Carson a celebrity candidate, <laughs> someone who uh, was drafted into this based on personality and on his media story and not any sort of accomplishment in uh, governing or experience in governing, you know, it just reminds me, I don't understand why uh, Democrats are pegged as the party of Hollywood when they're the, they're the party that's going to run Schwarzenegger, Reagan, and now Trump and Ben Carson. I mean, they, they just have this unreal. Yeah. They just have this, uh, this need for a hero Messiah figure that I, uh, you know, whatever you think about the 08 campaign, I think it's, uh, unparalleled the extent which they're looking for a strong man, even if they don't have any relevant experience. Well, let, let's go back to 1955, as Doc Brown said. <laughs> your president <laughs> has to be an actor because they're on TV. Yeah. With the I was going to mention, by the way, about the Back to the Future reference. You know that they – they intentionally based Biff Tannen yes. in uh, part two on Donald Trump back in 1989. Yeah, yeah but, uh, Bob Gale, the guy who wrote it, said that recently. So it's it's really incredible when you think about how close we got to 2015 and uh, the inspiration for Biff Tannen <laughs> maybe being president. That is that not scary or what? Yeah, they really caught it, almost on the Cubs too. Well, that's that's very true. You know, I was so worried about the Cubs winning that I was so grateful that they dropped out. But anyhow, yeah. Um, but the whole the whole election cycle, Kasich last night, and I will give the man credit. The the moderators, Chris Wallace, Megan Kelly, and the other guy I can't think of his name right now. Um, uh, oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Brett. Brett. Okay. They they were talking about. They, they would ask him a question, and one of the questions, Kasich said, I'm not going to bite. Mm-hmm. And instead, he was talking about his foreign policy, about what would happen around the world. I will say one thing. I don't think he has a shot of winning. I do think that if he does, if a Republican does get in the White House, he will be in someone's cabinet. Mm-hmm. But he's the most level. Yeah, he was already uh, – yeah, he, you know, he was uh, head of the budget committee, has experience in Washington. Uh, and those are all big minuses this year, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's the calculus these guys have is they. I mean, and obviously Chris Christie made his choice about how he was going to throw his lot in with Trump, and that's this very delicate line they have to walk. Where uh, you know they they they're going to have to live with themselves if they enable this to happen, but at the same time uh, they're going to want to stay relevant uh, in the campaign and in the in the chance that this becomes an administration so they have a very uh, difficult challenge which is why you know someone like romney unless he's throwing a hail mary to be uh you know recruited at the convention he's free from those constraints in a way that they are and he's able and the same way that a lot of the republican elite and the media is free that the way that these these folks who in elected office aren't and they have a very perilous line that they have to walk or else they're going to risk uh, inflaming all of Trump's supporters. 
So do you think that this whole thing with Romney yesterday um, mm-hmm. was because he was throwing his hat in the ring without running for uh, the primary season? No, I think – I personally think he probably cares more about leaving uh, a legacy for himself as a positive force in the party, and it's probably a way of trying to live with himself uh, – Honestly, uh, I think it's very unlikely that we're going to try uh, this guy on the third round. I don't think that he would have the stomach to go through it. I don't either. But I, I think it's very much him wanting to play a role as a senior statesman. Uh, you know, probably it should be W doing that, but he's probably oil painting or mountain biking or whatever he's doing. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, you know, there's been no peeps from the bushes. Uh, you know, I, Jeb hasn't tweeted since he's been out, and that's, how we communicate in the 21st century now is through 140 characters at a time. But, you know, I think I figure, like, Bush would have a little bit more cachet. But, you know, the paradox is the more that a guy like Romney criticizes Trump, the more uh, it emboldens him. You know, they call Reagan the the Teflon guy, right? But this is the Teflon guy. Literally anything you throw at him, uh, you know, it's just got to strengthen him and make him look more – as a, a force opposed to the establishment. So the more that they do this, the, you know, the more it strengthens his hand at the same time. Well, and let's talk about that. Do you think, and this is the conspiracies coming out in me, do you uh-huh. think Trump's people got a hold of Romney and said, hey, we need you to start kicking up the rhetoric so Trump looks like the guy from the outside? Because rural <laughs> no, America is eating this guy up. This 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 anti-government, this angry white male vote is yeah. voting for Trump, and they're saying there are Democrats that are doing the same thing. I mean, the thing is here. I mean, this is the Republican Party as it exists now for the past four decades has been completely unsustainable in this this arrangement they've worked out with this. You know, everyone wants to build a big tent, but their right. policy agenda is completely separate. From, uh, you know, so obviously Republican Party is in policy, the the party of, uh, you know, the, the money class. You know, this is where you go, the party you turn to for uh, free markets, free trade, uh, you know, low regulation. And none of that matters to these uh, working class, rural, white constituencies that they've been growing over the past several years. And that's why, obviously... You know, as we saw under under Bush and Roe, they had to increasingly turn to social issues to get these folks out. So that's why Republicans right. have talked about abortion, well, gay marriage, cultural gay, issues. Is what it was. Yeah, but we've. I mean, I think it's finally become an unsustainable point where their their policy uh, objectives are completely divorced from what their rank and file care about, and Trump has identified that. I mean, you know, the issues that Trump is uh, talking about. I mean. You know, having a trade war with China, right. uh, preventing companies from going uh, overseas to have jobs. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is not uh, a conservative platform in that sense at all. And he's exploited that gap that's been there between the, the party elites and the rank and file who joined this party, who would have been Democrats 40 years ago if it had gotten so mixed in with, uh, I mean, obviously it changed with uh you know, largely the civil rights movement and, right. the, you know, how the South went, you know, you, we, we've covered all this. But I I think that Trump has very cleverly exploited 
that gap that's been there. So for those folks, they have no love lost for someone like Romney. He doesn't represent, you know, I mean, I think in 2012 they voted for him because that was the last man standing against right. uh, Obama. But, Very true. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any, I, I can't think, I mean, even, even uh, Bush or someone, I don't think that there's anyone left who has any authority over these folks. I mean, it's basically a third party that has, a, I mean, this is how new parties emerge. It's happened before. Uh, it's just a very, uh, uh, you know, it's just something to see in real time. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, Teddy days well, we're living in. Well, a week ago, Trump got the endorsement of David Duke, former <laughs> yeah. right. uh, KKK grand wizard. And right. Trump did not disinvow it, which I thought was interesting. Now, of course, he blamed everything else except him because mm-hmm. he didn't hear the questions and he didn't know he was right. Duke was, even though years ago there's video coming out how Trump was against Duke when right. Trump sounded a lot like a Democrat at the time. And right. it's interesting that they're saying, again, this was a calculated move that Trump would disengage, but the white supremacists, the KKK, the neo-Nazis, the skinheads, what are gathering around Trump. Right. And it's like, did they not disavow because they knew the election was coming up in southern states that were, quote, unquote, George Wallace states? Right. And Jess Sessions, who was nominated for a Supreme Court justice, who did not Mm -hmm. get it because of his racial bigotry, endorsed Trump on Saturday. Right. So what are we – that, that's the part that scares me. What are we getting out of this? Well, I think – I mean, I – you know, I, I think that Trump, whether – even if he doesn't win this thing, I think he's going to go down as a really masterful politician in the sense that he's – that you have to be able to hold together an unsteady coalition of a lot of different people right. and, and signal things to people in a, in a very nuanced way. And I think that's exactly what he did uh, with uh, the way that he handled the David Duke thing, where he's able to later disavow it and officially make it, uh, uh, you know, his supporters able to say he did disavow it. But in that moment, he's sending a firm uh, signal to, to this, I mean, this white constituency that he's building, uh, you know, the same way, you know, Ronald Reagan kicked, I mean, you know, kicked off his campaign in 80 in the county in, in uh, where was that, Missouri, where three civil rights workers have been killed years before and talked about states' rights. And right. it's not that Ronald Reagan was advocating, uh, you know, the aims of the KKK, but it's a way to signal to white people that you understand that they are, that they still agree, that they still under assault in this culture. I mean, that's, I mean, I, you know, I think it's larger with this, how he's risen in this campaign is that this message to, uh, to a portion of America that feels like the country's changing, which it is, that feels like it's being left behind, that doesn't like what we're changing into. I mean, that's what a lot of these signals are about, in my opinion. Well, they're saying, and I don't know if the numbers are right, by 20, was it 2050, mm-hmm. the country will be a minor, minority majority. Right. right. And they're saying that there's a lot of people realizing this now, and they're resisting the change. Well, the thing is, it's going to happen if you want it to or not. Right. And well, it has nothing to do with immigration policy. It has nothing to do with what they're saying. 
Right. But again, they're trying to make it this issue. Now, one thing so that's, that that's brings what up, you're seeing. I mean, this is the death pangs of that of that old alignment, and you know, uh, again, this would be a fitting. Uh, you know, I think American history is full of. What, you know, one step forward and two steps back, or down to the you know the Reconstruction era. Uh, you know, I, I you know it would be a very fitting uh, continuation of that if we followed the first black president with someone who was a direct result of a huge portion of the country wanting to go to go back from a multicultural future that they're afraid of. Now, bringing it close to home, where I'm at. Um, What's interesting is is two weeks ago, a local radio talk show host on a local AM station got a very nasty text message. Now, the guy just moved here from, I think it was Syracuse, New York, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about Trump and how people need to wake up and everything else. He was getting text messages. First off, why? Why he's got gave out his cell phone number is that basically said, go back to New York. We're voting for Trump and we don't care what you think. I saw yeah. the text message and I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. But yeah. again, they're saying the people that are, that they're, they're supporting him are uneducated. Yeah. So, I mean, he loves the, he loves the poorly educated. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> he said, said that, the, he said that he uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, by far the largest, I mean, he, he has a, uh, you know, significant leads. I mean, the, the number one, the number one uh, indicator that someone is a Trump voter is uh, is not having a college education, which is just borne out by the statistics now. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, I, I, it's it's a very large part of this um, is being able to. Uh, that's the crowd that's that's really enthralled to this rhetoric that we're hearing. So now you look at the other the other three candidates on the Republican side. You're looking at Cruz, you're looking at Rubio, and you're looking at Kasich. Mm-hmm. Which one has a chance of maybe overtaking Trump's lead and doing something? Because right now, Trump, has, other than other other than the governor of Ohio, he has set his sights on Cruz, who he's calling a liar. Liar Ted now is what he's referring to him as. Yeah. And it's either little boy or baby, baby, baby Rubio. Little Rubio. Little Rubio. I mean, he has set the narrative on what is being said because he repeats it. And and remember the old saying, if you repeat something enough, people Mm -hmm. will tend to believe it. Yeah. Cruz, which I actually thought was going to get the – the the extreme right vote, the evangelical, and take the southern states. He was useless on Tuesday night. All he won was Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, Alaska. Alaska, which but Sarah that, Palin was, support Trump, which I thought was interesting there. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is uh, the interesting thing is you have evangelicals flock. Uh, you know, this thrice married. Uh, you know, whose affairs and discretions were all very. Highly uh, publicized throughout tabloids in New York in the eighties and nineties. Right. The fact that he was able to beat Cruz. I mean, he's. I mean, I mean, and and like in all fairness, uh, it's 
it's, it's obviously not just uh, high or poorly educated he's winning him. I mean, he does win in every geographic yeah. region among, uh, you know. Uh, I, I think with Cruz, with those victories that he rang up on Tuesday and then with what Rubio pulled out in Minnesota, it was probably the worst of all scenarios in terms of the movement to coalesce around one figure because now – they both have justification that they are pointing okay. to as as winning in the states. Although Rubio, you know, by sheer numbers has less justification. Uh, well, it's just the fact that the establishment hates Cruz almost as much as they, they hate as, Right. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I mean, and Kasich is so Kasich is banking on Ohio is coming up and making a play for for Michigan. Right. Rubio obviously has Florida coming up. So like a, basically, you know, the, this whole strategy of we were going to drop out and coalesce around one figure, I think that ship has essentially sailed yeah. for a stop Trump movement. Yeah, so their, their better bet now is for all of them to stay in and to try to win as many delegates as possible to try to prevent uh, Trump from amassing enough on the first ballot and then it would on the second ballot uh, at a convention it would – <laughs> it would then go to uh, uh, a brokered scenario, which we we can get into. But well, I think that that's the new uh, the new uh, drill is for all. Like I don't think any of them are going to get out at this point. They're all going to right. They're going to play. Stay I think yeah. Kasich might be the only one. He said if he doesn't win Ohio, he is going to bow out. Oh, did he? Yeah, because they're thinking and and. They're thinking that he may be able to win. If he wins Ohio, he may be able to win Pennsylvania. He may be able to win Michigan mm-hmm. and possibly New York. But I can't see how he can beat Trump in New York, to be honest with you. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. So it, it, it's, it's just surprising me. Now, this week, now I, I heard this in passing, and you mentioned his name at the beginning of the program. That Schwarzenegger was going to start coming out and stumping for one of the candidates. The only problem is I don't remember which one it was. Oh, I had I actually haven't heard that either. Yeah, uh, I heard I heard it this week, and I'm thinking I hope it wasn't Trump. I would strongly imagine that he would be a Rubio guy because yeah. of uh, the immigration background, and he's you know Arnold was always more of a. Bush uh, centrist type of Republican, but uh, uh, he I stick uh, corrected. He, he's a uh, he's he's with Kasich. Oh, he is with Kasich. Yeah, he's uh, he's donated the maximum, and he's with him on the campaign trail. Okay, I mean, I could I can I can I can take that. <laughs> yeah, well, they should have just changed the constitution ten years ago, and they could have had him run. Oh God, <laughs> he might have done all right in. Uh, you know, 2004 before he uh, became uh, a realist on global warming, and now he's persona non grata. But you um, know, I, I do just want to make note at some point. Uh, you know, I think it is rich for these guys, uh, Romney, and for the entire party to be denouncing it. But they, you know, they they have created this situation. Like they've been stoking an angry mob for eight years. They've literally right. created an environment of fear and paranoia. I mean, whatever. Donald Trump uh, has been floating uh, the birth certificate issue. It was never uh, denouncing him. It was, it was never defending, uh, obviously, the president's a U.S. citizen. It was, we take him at his word. 
It was these dog whistles, these winks. It was that's for the president to answer. And they, I think that this is the inevitable result of eight years of letting this angry mob uh, build in intensity. And now they're shocked that they can't control it, and they're not they're not listening to them anymore. I, you know, there's some, <laughs> you know, there's some irony to that. Uh, you know, Tr- Romney was more than happy to accept his endorsement. And was oh, exactly. Trump as yeah as a figure in 2012, and you know now that they're amazed it's backfired on them. Now, do you think if say Trump does not get the majority, he has 48 percent of the vote, and the other three guys split it, and mm-hmm. they go into a broke convention, how can they take it away from Trump? Yeah, uh, I mean, well, think of what that's going to do to rural America. Who have a has a problem with government anyhow, saying right. that our our voice doesn't matter, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Now, let's go yeah. back to 2000 when they did it to Democrats when they said that the popular vote didn't mean anything and they gave the election to George W. Bush. Right. Well, I mean, Scalia so, did. Uh, you know, five. Well, five uh, <laughs> but, I uh, know that. You know, there's a specific. You know, he needs. I, so they've basically made the, as I understand it, the, the, the inter-party rules are very favorable to front runners. Partially, they made it a little bit streamlined as a result of uh, the last election where they wanted to have some more, uh, you know, where Romney could barely uh, carry on without having that whole cast of clowns that he had last time. So anyway, basically, uh, dele- the majority of the delegates uh, are play, are required on the first ballot at the convention, as I understand it, to vote for who the states have voted for. So as long as Trump gets a, a twelve thirty seven, yeah, yeah so about twelve about twelve hundred delegates, uh, they're all required to vote for him. But if he if we go to the convention and the other three have prevented him from getting to that number. Uh, the delegates are free to vote for anyone on the second ballot. So that's where it gets a lot more chaotic. So, and, you know, that could be where Chris Christie was thinking, you know, uh, he might've been trying to keep uh, himself as a, a viable person who's acceptable to all of uh, Trump's votes because he came out and endorsed him. I think that was probably a mm-hmm. big part of his calculus. Um but that, I mean, they're definitely going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. Can you see if Trump doesn't get the nomination that he goes off with another party and actually? Well, it's very difficult, as I understand it, in terms of uh, uh, how to get uh, ballot access on every state. He certainly has the financial means. He has uh, the logistical means. I think it would just be an issue of timing by waiting that long, but. Well, uh, they're Perot, saying Perot was able to do something similar, and uh, and uh, you know I know he dropped out and came right back in in the fall. Right, it's like completely unprecedented, but it is a logistical problem. And and he did pledge the debate. Uh, the question is if he's going to go back on that. He's certainly not. His fingers were crossed. His fingers <laughs> yeah. were crossed behind his back. I mean, for goodness' sake! I mean, there's no yeah. way. They were uh, there, and actually, they did say that um, the Republicans, if Trump would get the nomination, that they mm-hmm. would end up running a candidate under, I guess, the Constitution Party, because mm-hmm. 
they already have spots on majority of the ballots. Mm. So they could drop someone in it. Now there's this guy that is the former governor of New Mexico. Um, Gary. His last name is yeah Johnson. Gary Johnson, yeah. I've heard, I've heard nothing about, but all of a sudden he's starting to show up on doing a social media push right now. Yeah, well, he did run last time too. <laughs> they did do him a whole lot of good, but this is obviously, uh, you know, if they could bring someone like Trump in, that's a very different there. I mean, you know, Perot got nineteen percent of the popular vote last time. Did didn't in uh, in ninety two didn't get any of the electoral college votes, but I think that 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 at least was a, a shot across the bow in terms of how it is possible. Well, John Anderson did that years ago too. In eighty, I don't think yeah. he got as high as nineteen, but he did he did well for a independent candidate. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to play out. And then on the other side of the ticket, you have Bernie and Hillary. Yeah. Which right now, depending on what happens with Hillary's email, is she even going to be able to run? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, this is part of the problem. I mean, you know, even in Romney's statement, which sounds like this moderate, reasonable stance, still in couch within that is this uh, you know, is this statement that Hillary Clinton uh, is, would be illegitimate as president, can't be trusted. That's Marco Rubio's line that she lied about Benghazi. And then right. again, you know, uh, is very, I'm very much of a mind of they have created this, this scenario. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, obviously Democrats play hardball. They definitely come after opponents, but they don't do anything in my opinion uh, to delegitimize uh, the opponents where every election is for the fate of the universe. And that's the, <laughs> you know, that's the problem yeah, you're that right. they've, that's the problem that they've created where uh, Hillary, they've made Hillary Clinton out to be, you know, someone who should, should be, you know, at the, at the Hague, you know, for, for these damn, you know, for not putting, you know, obviously I'm a Democrat, but uh, I would have never, know, I, I think that they've, intensified the situation and that's a big part of what has has created this acrimony with uh with Trump where their supporters see this as a choice between uh Trump and uh you know uh, a traitor and that's right. just made it more difficult for them oh. in in the long run even if they are able to you know win win house seats so they're just so focused on the short game that I think that they've lost sight of how badly the party could spiral out of control. And, then, yeah, I mean, and, then, you know. and then they're talking about, well, if Hillary does get the nomination, no, are they going after Hillary? They're going after Bill. And I'm going, wait a minute. Bill's indiscretions did not prevent him from being a good or an average right. president. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for him, just think of the doldrums the country would have sit in the, would have been in in the 90s because yeah. everybody thought he was wonderful. He was a good old boy. I mean, yes, he had his he had his pluses and he had his minuses, his pros and his cons, but overall, he wasn't a bad president. Yeah, well, I remember uh, I remember the Onion article from when George uh, W. Bush was sworn in. Uh, the headline, our eight-year nightmare of peace and prosperity is over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, if you're measuring it by pocketbook and by, uh, you know, our our our, our deficits, our, our our GDP, you know, all across the board, yes, obviously, Clinton era was a good time. So if we're going to tie her to all the negatives, 
you know, it'd be good for her to get the positives as well. And, you know, yeah, it is pretty remarkable how they how they have taken someone, you know, that centrist and, and painted her out to be uh, Attila the Hun. You know, she's not even the the most liberal figure. I mean, you know, that, well, that's Sanders has helped pull her to the left over the years. And the Democratic Party in general is just like the Republicans have moved to the right, has moved to the left. But you well, know, this isn't a radical by any means. The fact well, they're that, saying right now part of her problem is because she's not too far to the left. She is a moderate Democrat. Yeah. And they're saying that because of that, because Bernie is attracting this younger audience. Now, does the younger audience vote or not? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think is really interesting, and I mean because I've seen everybody's dirty laundry over the last 30-some years of elections. Mm-hmm. They haven't brought Bernie's religion into play. Yeah, be be the first uh, Jewish president. You don't hear too much talk of the historical significance of that. But, I think partially because he doesn't really still identify. You know, I don't think you're going to find Bernie in the synagogue very often. I don't think that he's, uh, you know, that but much think, of a practicing one. It's probably a bigger deal for him to be as secular as he is. Maybe, maybe that's right. what you meant. Well, not even – no, I'm thinking what Trump will do mm-hmm. to Bernie because of either the religion he did practice or the one he doesn't practice. Because uh-huh. it seems to me that when they have nothing to go after these guys with, they always go after their belief system. And yeah, I think it's, my, I my think it's really interesting that that's where they go. But... Yeah, well, Hillary's been pretty. Uh, she's been uh, banging away at her, uh, you know, which at her Methodist uh, upbringing a lot in speeches that I've seen recently. So she's definitely uh, playing that card. The only time these people go to church is when there's an election coming up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> think about it. Yeah, but the whole email thing now. The guy that set up the uh, server for her has immunity. Mm-hmm. He, he is going in. I don't know what deal they cut with him, but he's going in. He's going to, d- to discuss. What is that going to do with the election? Because if this case comes to fruition, it's going to be this summer. I don't know. I I I really think that I, – I think the Justice Department is going to be reluctant to uh, – you know, it's not going to happen. There, I don't think there's enough there there for them to be prosecuting that high of a uh, ranking figure during such a politicized uh, season. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to be a Hillary Trump race at this point. I think last time I wasn't as confident about Trump, but well, uh, I'd be I surprised if that is I there. always thought Hillary was going to get the nomination. Now, I'll say one mm-hmm. thing. I would have voted for her in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I'm having a little bit of problem now because mm-hmm. it's trustworthy because of the images being portrayed. Mm-hmm. And I just and I and I and again, this is just me. This isn't anybody else. But it's like she's expecting that because she is, it's her turn. Mm-hmm. Because she is a woman, it is her turn to be mm-hmm. to get. Now, that's fine. I think she deserves it. I think she'd be a very good president. But she mm-hmm. just has this air about her right now that I'm having an issue with. And I don't think I'm yeah. the only one with that issue. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard if you've been on the high wire that long for, 
you know, uh, 24 years. It'd be like if Michelle Obama was running in 2036, I guess. I mean, can you imagine being on that high wire for such a long time? I think that it's hard to not, you know, I mean, they've had, and even before that, going back, she's been first, she was first lady of Arkansas in, uh, what was that, 1978? But I think that, the authenticity issue is a big uh, challenge because they, they know how any remark, you know, about the thing about back in the day she said about uh, she could have been staying at home and baking cookies or right. uh, right-wing conspiracy. Anything you say can be so misconstrued or used. And I think that as a result, it's very hard to maintain any kind of authenticity. That's exactly that's why Trump is doing well um, because People, I mean, he is 100% authentic, saying what he thinks, regardless <laughs> yeah, of if true. it's consistent. Uh, you know, and authenticity is always very uh, powerful to me. I think, in general, the most likable, authentic person is the one who wins. It's pretty arguable if, uh, out of this crop, uh, if, if you would think Donald Trump's most likable, it probably has more to do with uh, where you are politically. But uh, that's you know, I think she does have to, you know, that, that's what built her in in 2008 when uh, Obama was seen as a more authentic, dynamic force. So that's right. something she's going to have to, I mean, I think, I think playing to her strengths is just recognizing she's, uh, you know, the student, the wonk, the, the person who gets in the weeds of the details. I think she just needs to embrace that side of her. That's who she is. You know, I think most people's minds, are, are really made up. I mean, I think it's going to be entirely a turnout issue. Uh, you know, and Trump's got significant challenges there just demographically. I mean, he's going to need need to win, I think I saw like 70% of white men, essentially. Romney lost winning uh, 60% of white men, something around that. But I just don't know how he's going to be able to make many inroads with uh, with. You know, as a larger voter block, you know, most African-Americans, most Latinos, uh, you know, I don't know how, you know, a lot of women, I don't know how he's going to be able to overcome those high negatives that he has unless unless uh, his turnout is higher. I mean, that's right. how, you know, uh, I, you know, I think George Bush probably wouldn't have won if turnout had been lower, but it's entirely about motivating, making sure people get out. But that's where Trump is, has problems again, because if we do have all these Republicans staying home uh, who won't vote for him, if the party does split, that's obviously going to benefit her enormously. Now, but, do you think a lot of those people, so okay, Trump gets the nomination, uh-huh. that those people will not go out and vote in November because in their mind, the narratives have been written and Hillary has this election already. Mm-hmm. So why go waste my time if the election's over? Because that has been the narrative for how many years now? Yeah. And and the narrative was also believed that Jeb Bush was going to be the candidate for the Republicans, and that backfired. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's going to be one. I mean, I do think there are some heartening developments from uh, Trump's rise. I think one is showing how, uh, even though Trump is obviously the richest person in the race, I don't think he's by no means that he spend the most on his campaign or fundraise the most. I mean, you know, Jeb um, spent record-breaking amounts from donors, and it really got him nowhere in the end. So that, you know, it, you know, there are silver linings to find <laughs> in this thing somewhere, and I think that uh, he's challenged a lot of the 
conventional wisdom about what you need to do to win a campaign. Maybe you don't need to spend all this money on ads. But obviously the advantage Trump has is that he has all this free media where anytime he insults anyone, it dominates the news cycle for right. days at a time. And that's something. Obviously Rubio was trying to tap into that with the big hands and everything and else. And it Yeah. Because yeah, he I mean, came off and he looked juvenile. He looked like he was in third grade and going, and he was trying to fight the bully, and it just didn't work. It made him look ridiculous. Now, do uh-huh. you think um, that one for, for the Republicans to actually get someone, do you think you're going to have to have two candidates that now are running team up and say, okay, you have – like say Cruz being the Democrat, being the president, and Rubio being the VP, <laughs> would that actually benefit if that rumor starts to fly? Because then they could take down Trump. Or do you think Trump is strong enough that no matter who anybody would start throwing around as a VP candidate, it wouldn't make a difference? I I don't think any of that. I think it's completely static until the convention. I mean, you know. Cr- at, you know, all of Cruz's colleagues hate him. Oh, He's got no endorsements from the Senate whatsoever. Uh, you know, I, I I find it hard to see Kasich being an asset, honestly, in a Republican primary because of how moderate he is. Yeah, but I think he uh, – Maybe there'll be a smoke-filled room back, back deal when they get to the actual convention. But I think until then, uh, it's frozen. But I think I think Kasich, if he would run, he would be able to get those that that Midwest. Um, yeah, sure. Because Hillary looks good in Ohio. She looks good in Michigan. She looks good because the whole issue in Flint right now in Michigan with the whole water scandal. I mean, mm-hmm. the Democrats are all over that. The Republicans have been standing back with a ten foot pole because the governor happens to be a Republican governor who made the screw up. Yeah, I mean, and that's telling too of how uh, I think what's interesting is, is it's almost like you're watching two completely different campaigns in terms of what they identify as issues facing yes. the country because the Republicans haven't talked about it at all until they were finally asked about it yesterday. Uh, you know, and Rubio calls it politicizing. I mean, to Republicans, it's politicizing uh, in a pejorative sense an issue to just talk about it. So that's why every time there's a there's a mass shooting, it's politicizing it. Solutions to it, um, you know. So if you're watching the Democratic primary, you think, uh, as as I personally do, you know, biggest issues facing the country are things like income inequality and and climate change, and uh, you know, for a lot of for a big portion of the of the Democratic electorate, uh, dealing with uh, you know institutional racism and issues with law enforcement. If you listen to Republican debates, a completely different set of issues about, uh, you know, appeasing terrorists and about uh, economic decline. And it makes it, you know, it's interesting because for a long time, campaigns have largely been about competing uh, suggestions for how to address problems, at least the problems we had consensus on. And today, we don't even have consensus on that. Uh, So it's going to be, you know, really interesting when it gets to the general election point. But Trump, you know. Now it's, it's, it is kind of scary to hear Trump increasingly sounding like Bernie Sanders talking about uh, wage, exactly. wage stagnation, and and he yeah. does have a really powerful critique of Hillary. He's able to tie her. I mean, there's a reason why 
Uh, I can't recall offhand, but it was a long time. The, the last president prior to uh, George H.W., uh, the last time we had a, a, a three consecutive terms outside of, obviously, FDR and Truman was an extraordinary circumstance, but it's really hard for a party, just as it is in uh, was in Pennsylvania until Tom Corbett broke the cycle. But, you know, right. the, 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 the general... But yeah, but it's been, uh, you know, eight years, eight years, eight years. It's really hard for a party to, you know, voters naturally get tired of the party in charge. There's a lot working historically against Hillary. If it hadn't been for the the Trump factor, I think that she would have had some really hard wins to run against. Um, Because, yeah, we still don't know. Well, but he's it, able to it, say, you know, she's talking about uh, wages and about uh, incomes stagnating, and he's able to ask, you know, well, why hasn't she done anything about it? You, then you can argue that's not really in the Secretary of State's lane, uh, but he's still able to tie her to the president administration uh, in a way that makes it difficult when, pe- when a lot of regular people uh, just naturally like there to be a change in government uh, after eight terms, especially if they haven't felt, uh, you know, like, you know, we just announced today we just added 265,000 jobs this month. I was just, uh, I was just yeah, going to bring that up. Yeah, the job creation numbers are great, uh, but the the wage growth numbers aren't great across the board in terms of, uh, especially folks in Trump's demographic, people who, you know, don't have a college education, uh, you know, folks who could get a good living in working in factories or places like, you know, had a filled power plant before. Uh, if you know, I mean, what the the famous Reagan line? I'm sure you remember where. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, recession is when your neighbor loses his yes. job. Depression, you lose your job, and recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his job. But it, yeah. you know, it really captures how it is your personal circumstance that's gonna affect how you see the economy. So you can read these stories, but until you're able to go on vacation and send your kid to college. It doesn't mean anything to you. And for a lot of people in in uh, places where Trump's doing well, they haven't seen the effect of the recovery present in their own life. And that's why Hillary does have that challenge to still grapple with. Yeah, it, it, it is, again, going to be interesting to see. And, and it's also going to be interesting to see how much further that Bernie Sanders is going to go. Or is he going yeah. to try to take it to the convention, too? I mean, I think I think that he got in it uh, to push her to the left, to to be a voice, to make his issues more uh, more prominent. And then I think he was surprised as anyone when it really caught fire, partially because of how weak a field that he had to work with. I think he's going to stay in all the way uh, just to continue to influence the debate. I mean, he could catch up in the delegate mass, but it doesn't look good at all. The fact that he didn't win in a place like Massachusetts, uh, you know, we, we haven't even gotten to, you know, California, Texas, uh, New York. I find it really hard to imagine him overtaking her with that kind of mass. But uh, I, and the thing is, I mean, what separates Bernie to me from these other folks is he, he was in this for, uh, to make a statement. There's a lot of reasons why people run for president. Some people want to get on TV more, like I would argue Carly Fiorona uh, did. Some some folks want to uh, get their names in the mix for the cabinet, like I would argue probably Lindsey Graham did. 
probably wants to be at the Pentagon, so it helps to raise his profile to run. I think someone like Bernie or like uh, what was his Steve Forbes back in the day, who was pushing the flat tax. I think that yeah. the victory to them is to have their issues, um, you know, debated and center stage. So I think that even if Bernie doesn't win, which isn't likely, I think he still achieved a lot uh, and done a lot more than you know. I don't really think anyone in the Republican Party this time ran to really push an idea, except maybe Jeb uh, pushing the idea that the Republican Party should be more inclusive and reach out to immigrants. That's probably the only exception I could think of there. When did Ronald Reagan become the savior of the Republican Party? (laughs) Uh, It's a good question, actually, because definitely towards the end during Iran-Contra, I mean, obviously I wasn't there or I wasn't paying attention to that stuff. I remember him on the TV vaguely in the background. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, because honestly, I think probably during Clinton, back when uh, they perceived the presidency as being, uh, I think you make a good case, as being degraded, I think that they probably just had that nostalgia for him. Uh, and and really, yeah, I mean, I think it keeps throwing it back the party of Reagan, the party of Reagan. And I'm going, too, yeah. this week, the party of one. Yeah, Lincoln is rolling over in his grave right now. Because you're yeah. saying this is the party of Lincoln, I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit more. But you look back on it, and I understand that the Republican Party need bailed out because you had you had Nixon and then you had Ford, which was inept. Then you had four years of Carter, and then Reagan came back in, and then of course, then you had uh, the first Bush, first Bush, and then you had eight years of Clinton, then right. eight years. And now eight years of Obama. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the way it's spelled out, I can understand why they're trying to do nostalgia for a better time. But I lived through it. It wasn't wonderful. The man was the, the – I mean, if you want to talk rhetoric, Ronald Reagan was it. And the one line that he went after George H.W. Bush is the whole tax thing, and here you go again. Yeah. I mean – it's the same thing Donald Trump right now because he is creating the narrative for the other candidates. And that's what I think is interesting because Trump is looking a lot like Ronald Reagan. <laughs> well, he's definitely a uh, celebrity who uh, doesn't know very much, <laughs> in my <laughs> opinion. So, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, supposedly Reagan was a devouring book left and right, but you could you could fool me. I think uh, he was probably watching Sound of Music on a TV train going to bed before 9.30 every night, as far as I can tell. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think in some ways, you know, this is for the Republicans, maybe a referendum on Reaganomics finally. You know, it hasn't helped uh you know, the vast majority of these folks who are aggrieved and turning to the party uh, because of Trump. I mean, you know, they don't want to, you know, th- this problem about cutting taxes and, uh, you know, regulations. I mean, it's not reaching uh, reaching the rank and file. And, and I think that they've responded a lot more to, to the issues that Trump has brought up. Well, Reagan, if you go back to his days in Hollywood, he was blacklisted. They thought he was a communist. Well, then he, I think he testified. I think he was one of the guys who named names. Well, yeah, well, he's a turncoat is what he was, but yeah. Yeah. 
So again, yeah. it, it's really interesting. Now, last night, Ted Cruz said something, and I and I will give Fox News they they've cleaned up the way they handle these debates, and they mm-hmm. actually had questions with substance when they started talking to Cruz about his flat tax that he wants to abolish the IRS. The question was, mm-hmm. if you IRS, who's going to collect your flat tax? Yeah. And well, yeah, the, and the more that they uh, got the, the IRS, the more challenging it is for the IRS to be able to, uh, you know, to track down folks who aren't paying their taxes. I mean, your, your odds of being uh, audited now are pretty low because they don't have enough manpower, and that in turn uh, lowers the amount of revenue coming in. Uh, you know, I mean, I think this is an area, too, where they they don't trust Trump because he doesn't seem to have the same fetish for cutting government that the rest of them do. I mean, I'm no. not convinced that he would. Uh, I mean, that's it's just a wild card. No one really knows what he would do, and a big principle of, of his negotiation style is starting from a place of strength and making concessions which he wrote about in, uh, you know, the famous final art of the deal. Of the art deal that's yeah. what, yeah, that's what's gotten all the Republicans uh, scared. They just don't know what he's going to say when he actually sits down with, uh, you know, if he had to sit down with uh, Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi, if they were in the majority again, uh, it's just very, uh, very up in the air. I mean, I don't really think he has a guiding ideological compass other than he wants himself to do well. I mean, especially if you look at he wants, he uh, positions king. he's had in the past. He wants to be king. What was interesting, <laughs> and if you look at his debates, in even his rallies, mm-hmm. he says that he can negotiate. Nothing's yeah. been going on in Washington for eight years because no one will negotiate. I will negotiate. And as soon as he says that, you have this roarous applause because people are tired of the gridlock. So yeah. maybe you put this guy in. Maybe nothing gets done for four years, but maybe it's just enough to turn a mirror around on the House and on the Senate saying, hey, it's not the president's fault. It's the people that are in it's the people in the controlling seats. Because you know Obama yeah. tried to do it, and unfortunately for Obama to get anything done, he was doing the executive orders, and Lord forbid a president uses his privilege to do executive orders. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, we people say they want to have things done, but that would require having some sort of consensus about what the goals we're trying to achieve is. I mean, you could argue that, you know, when we bailed the banks out. That was both parties coming together to save the right. economy, but everybody uh, lost their minds because uh, it was perceived as, uh, you know, bailing out these fat cats. I mean, uh I don't. I think the issues run a lot. I, I I really think a fundamental issue is just how to get American politics boring again and less acrimonious. <laughs> because I think until we've moved away from it being an apocalyptic showdown, we're just going to continue to have. I mean, I don't think gridlock is the problem as much as the incentives that they're. I mean, they're all these these representatives and senators are all very. Uh, incentive driven they're all making rational choices it's very rational for them to deny obama being able to name the supreme court justice i mean that's a great example if we were serious about we wanted to get things done there would be no pressure on congress to deny you know obviously we should have a full supreme court and we should have a 
a nine-person court so that we can efficiently make decisions and not be uh, uh, deadlocked. Uh, but they're reacting to their very, uh, you know, their very present uh, pressures that they have on them from their constituents. And, uh, you know, that's a multi-decade project, if anything, probably to try to uh, change those incentives so that we're not perpetually, uh, you know, at war with each other. So how much, and, and we look at it, how much do we blame all this, this on the media because they're the ones creating the candidates and then and then you look that no matter who's in office for the four to eight years you Mm -hmm. have these conservative talk show hosts they're bashing everybody because the more they bash the higher their ratings go and the higher the ratings go the more listeners they have and it becomes a full circle i mean yeah it, it it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, Rush Limbaugh turned this into an art. Unfortunately, he's now become non a non relevant issue because you think so? These, you oh, don't yeah. think he's the the real leader of the party? Rush Limbaugh, he hasn't been in two years because he got into his own scandal. What was that? But the um, the, the, the medication, flute? the medication, oh. and his uh, and his mistress. Oh, I don't. I doubt that that stopped his listeners. But yeah, I don't. I don't know how his. Uh, I'm sure you know better than I do what his uh, radio numbers are. Do you? Well, you're probably better informed on that than I. Let's just say that his. He was in that. In that genre of talk radio, he was number one for the longest time. He started getting dropped from primary stations to secondary and tertiary stations. So he uh-huh. was doing it now. The Glenn Becks of the world, um, the uh, yeah. and I think of the other Michael um, Michael Savage Savage. There was and there was another one. Um, I can't think of his name either. That have moved up. Conservative talk yeah. is going to be conservative talk, but they have become more vicious than what even Rimball was in his peak. Yeah, I mean that's what's given rise to this. I mean you're just being, you know, right wing media. They're just pumping people full of this area. And again, I mean, there's really no equivalent. People try to draw an equivalency between, you know, Bill Maher and John Stewart and these guys. It's, it's, it's not the same, uh, uh, you know, pervading fe- no. fear and paranoia uh, that they've stoked on the right. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a business. It's money driven. Folks get really uh, rich. I mean, Ann Coulter has gotten really rich off of this. Uh, uh, Michelle Bachman's gotten rich off this. Um, yeah, Michael well, yeah, I mean, I mean obviously folks, folks leave office now. I mean, yeah, Sarah Palin, it, it was a ra- more rational decision for her to get out of office if she could uh, cash in on this stuff rather than uh, stay as governor. It made a lot more sense for her to become a media personality. So, you know, that, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. The intersection of, uh, of media and government, has has made uh, it, it very challenging for you know, and the, obviously the public has responsibility. I mean, the public could be out reading, uh, you know, the Atlantic and <laughs> the Wall well, Street Journal or whatever the right the uh, the right wing uh, equivalent of that is, because there is good journalism, good good uh, programming out there. Uh, so, you know, there's there's blame to go well, around about how far the discourse has fallen and. Yeah. The best part I've always got a kick out of is they keep throwing the liberal media, liberal media, and I'm going, there is no liberal media in this country. 
The media is owned by the conservative business people. That's I think the media's bias is for sensationalism. I well, mean, well, it, it I, is. I think that's what it is. I mean, the media. Well, I mean, obviously, if if we have a liberal media, why are we giving rally clock coverage to to Trump? I mean, well, that's true too. Or, but I think Trump's more of a Democrat than he is a Republican. But that's my personal opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. But if you look at it, if the liberal media was liberal, wouldn't there be more progressive and liberal talk programs? Yeah, it didn't work I mean, out too well for Al Franken. He had to, well, no. he had to leave radio and go work for the Senate. But but you 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 look at it and you have probably three to four times as many conservative talk show hosts as you do liberal hosts, and yeah. you lose liberal hosts left and right because there's no advertising for it because mm-hmm. they're talking about um, – Income um, inequality. They're talking about issues that are going to build up the public. It's going to hurt the business owners. It's going to hurt the advertisers. So it's yeah. a double-edged sword. You can talk about it as much as you want, but if the no Republicans pay- would just say uh, it's because they have to commute to work, so they need something to listen to, and all the liberals just stay home every day. <laughs> hey, so I've heard I that. That, that would too. be my gag if I yeah, but. Uh, yeah, it is interesting how Republicans really have cornered the market on radio. I'm sure there's a number of reasons for well, uh, for that. The funny thing is, and you look at it, it it's in interesting reading. I'm sitting right now, and I'm more of a moderate than I've ever been. Uh-huh. You look local radio. There are more conservative guys that claim to be conservative talk show hosts than people that are like me that are moderate. There's a reason why I'm not doing it on the air anymore mm-hmm. because – they can't sell the program, or they don't want to sell the program because conservative talk is an easy sell. Yeah. I mean, in an area that's that's registered, what, two-to-one, three-to-one Democrat over Republican, you would figure that progressive or liberal talk would be able to sell. They yeah. can't sell it. So you think Trump will carry Fayette County? Yes. In the, pri- in the primary? Yes. Yeah. I think he'll cover it in the general election, too, if he gets it. And the, and the reason is, is because of what we said before, and I hate to say this, but it goes back to that uneducated vote. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think there's a I, – I, I really do think there's a large, uh, you know, racial component to, to this whole thing where he's, a, he's able to go places with the other oh, folks. I, I, I do, too. um, Yeah. So do you have any thoughts about if you win? What your Uh, your expectation is? I'm moving to Canada or what? Right, right. (laughs) Actually, as much as as I hate to say it, I mean, if he wins, really, it's, it's for most of us, it's not going to affect us immediately. Um, Politics is local. Mm Mm-hmm. We have enough of a buffer because of our state government that anything that would come down, hopefully the state would be able to intercede on. Between um, the yeah. prison in Harrisburg, uh, you guys, <laughs> yeah, you've already got plenty, uh, right? Plenty on your plate, yeah. I mean, I mean, think think of what we're dealing with. So most of us that that don't follow this and only follow it every four years aren't going to notice much of a difference. Other than mm-hmm. if something doesn't get done, we're going to start yelling at Trump and blame him for everything. Instead right. of Obama, which again, right. 
it was just a scapegoat because people don't understand politics because they believe the president has all this power. And mm-hmm. you and I both know in reality he doesn't have much of any. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the real power of the presidency is, is uh, the symbolism of it right. and, and what it what uh, it says about the country's values. So I think for me that would be the biggest loss in going from, uh, you know, from President Obama, who, you know, obviously a lot of people foam at the mouth about still for some reason, but I think has been a really good uh, representative of America. It's completely divorced of all the policy areas I think have paid off just in terms of reflecting, uh, you know, how uh, folks from any background can rise and do anything they want, right. showing the world how, America is a tolerant, inclusive place. I think that it would just be a, a sad statement to go back to someone who was, you know, born on third and uh, hit a hit a triple and stole second. And then, you mean you know, with George W. Bush is what you're saying. Right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and I, I think it would create a lot of... Uh, you know, just set us back in a lot of ways with diplomacy, with well, yeah. Uh, yeah. with any kind of uh, attempt to build a coalition in the Islamic world with the ISIS issue. You know, my day-to-day work is with, uh, you know, energy and the environment. I think mm-hmm. that would set us back a long time in that area. So I think, it, you know, the, the but, larger but, uh, point is just how they set the agenda and vision for government as a whole. They're, uh, it's you know, symbolism is important. And, you know, I think even though Hillary Clinton's an imperfect person to be the first woman president, you know, I think that would at least be another milestone that I think a lot of people are ready to achieve. And I think that she's, uh, you know, a very competent, uh, you know, it it would be a lot like the first push, like not the most inspiring visionary figure, but someone who keeps keeps the trains moving who you're not going to be worried about, uh, you know, embarrassing the country or having an international incident unless you buy into the Benghazi ideology. Now, I agree with you. The international, the international, we are going to be looked down upon. Yeah. Um, In the United States. I mean, even before that, even the fact that he gets to, he's gotten to this point, I think it already. Oh, yeah. And then going back to what you said about what you do, nobody likes the EPA anyhow, so it doesn't make much of a difference. So, <laughs> well, I'm an energy, but we're, we're different than EPA. But yeah, same same difference for a guy who used to be a coal miner who can't work anymore, exactly. or, you know, who who's sees a war on coal. You know, same difference to him. But but when when you look at it, there's a meme going around Facebook now, and it says this election is going to have a lot of firsts. You're going to have Hillary. If Hillary wins, she's going to be the first woman president. If you have Bernie win, he's going to be the first Jewish president. If you have Bush uh-huh. win, he'll be the first Latino president. If you have Cruz win, he'll be the first Canadian president. And if you have <laughs> Trump win, he will be the last president. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, as they always say, there's always a little bit of truth and humor and jest, and that's the scary part of this whole thing. <laughs> so yeah, I, don't know, I don't know how we had democracy before all the memes. <laughs> well, it really crystallized it. But again, and then the final thought before we go: How much do you think social media is playing into this election this year? It's just terrible. <laughs> well, I, don't know. I mean, you know, uh, I think it is a powerful tool. It allows candidates to connect. Uh, you know, 
with uh, with voters in a new interesting way. I, I think it's incredible. I mean, you can say something about Donald Trump, and he'll personally respond. I mean, he'll he'll retweet at people who have forty followers. If you if you tweet at him and said something complimentary or really insulting, I guarantee you he would engage with you. Uh, you know, I think there's some incredible parts of it. But, we need you know, to say I mean, stuff insulting so he can start listening to the program. I mean, I got to do whatever I can. Yeah, I mean, but, dude, you know, it's a tool like anything. It's just like you know, with a TV, you can you can watch uh, garbage or you can uh, watch GBS. You know, I think that the unfortunate thing with is with social media. There, uh, I see so many people. Uh, I'll I will personally say I think it's more heavily on the right who seem to rely upon uh, memes and very dubious blog sources as uh, empirical sources of information. Uh, I think the Internet in general, for all of its good, has made it much harder to have any sort of, uh, you know, consensus on what is facts, what are statistics, mm-hmm. uh, what is truth. I mean, I, I, and I think it's made it a lot harder for for uh, you know, for folks who don't have extensive uh, critical thinking experience, honestly, to be able to to discern uh, what is true and what isn't. I think people see quotes on memes and uh, will read that as literal. Uh, I, I just think it it creates uh, a whole other level that makes it hard to have a coherent dialogue. But at the same time, it gets more people. Engage gets people having conversations, so I, I, I suppose that's good. But uh, I, you know, I, I don't know what the future of uh, reading <laughs> books is going to be in thirty years or so. Well, I just I just know that a lot of people, like you said, are using it as the gospel truth. Yeah, you have a yeah. lot of new voters that are eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old that have never participated in the process and they think everything they read on the internet is fact. Right. And, and that's, that's, and that's, where that's all, the you scary know, part. You can find something backing up anything. I mean, we've all, we've all had our, you know, I have all these relatives forwarding me chain emails. I have, uh, my mom sends me whatever she gets in her inbox, <laughs> you know, at some point. Uh, I, she just doesn't see what I'll say about it, so no offense to her. Uh, they just have to arise out of you what it is. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, but people can find that, you know, back to, I mean, and Trump's the ultimate example of this, you know, talking about seeing these Muslims celebrating on 9-11 and right. George Bush knew about the World Trade Center. Uh, you can find whole documentaries and websites supporting uh, any theory that you that you want to believe in, and the fact that we don't have you know we don't have a Walter Cronkite anymore. You you know you can't post you can't uh, post an article from the Washington Post and New York Times in a discussion because uh, that's that's media uh, bias right there. Right. Uh, you know there seems to be this notion that like. Uh, there's no role for perspective in media. People think that the media is just meant to be a referee uh, and they can't present any sort of perspective, which I've always, you know, I think that your role is to be able to critically think about information and take in opinions and editorials. I don't think that you have to be afraid of the media dictating a message, especially today where there's so many different media sources. 
Um, but, you know, I think, again, that just goes to a larger issue of just faith lost in all of these institutions, uh, whether it's government, media, uh, big business. I think that's just made it more difficult to all around to govern or to put out uh, journalism because no one trusts anything. And I don't know, you know, it seems like that started with, with Watergate with Vietnam. It's not a recent development, but I think it's definitely accelerated and this cycle is the culmination of that. It, 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 and, and unfortunately, because I've lived through a lot of Yeah, that. yeah. I'm just I reading can, about all this, so you, you know firsthand. I, I know most of it <laughs> firsthand. I can look back on it and say that a lot of ways when you had your Walter Cron- Cronkite, your Peter Jennings, your um, uh, your Tom Brokaw's and that, that's the mm-hmm. face of what the news was. We trusted right. them. We didn't yeah. think there was any conspiracies involved. We didn't worry about it. And honestly, we may have been in the dark in a lot of issues, but the country was much better off. Now we have all yeah. this information that we don't know what's true, what's false, what's half-truths, what, whatever it may be. Yeah. And we're all suspicious. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, it's complex. You could argue we might not have had a, a Vietnam today because we wouldn't just blindly accept it, although we did have an Iraq 10 years ago. That's exactly uh, right. You know, no. I, mean, I think that's the issue is how, you know, the big uh, outlying question, I think, for this campaign is uh, – the extent to which an unforeseen event, you know, if we have a ter- if we have a San Bernardino type event in October, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, you know, I think that could tip it really quickly to, to Trump, and uh, well, I think that's the that's the environment in which um, uh, before it does I make it before I let you go, which let's, we do want. Let's take it full circle before I let you go. Do you think? Mm-hmm. If Trump was running for president in 1970, 74, whatever, he would be able to get as far as he did. But because he's doing it now in the age of social media, do you think a candidacy back then would have taken off the way it has now? No, because until now, every president has had uh, has had a so we only had a few who were in elected office, and they were either generals or they were cabinet officials. Like Herbert Hoover was—he had never been in office, but he had been uh, 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 a cabinet official overseeing famine efforts during World War One. Uh, I think it was very much a sense that you had to have held office, had to have experience uh, in governing, and I think that's one reason why he wouldn't have been able to get up there uh, before if he hadn't gone through those steps of, uh, of serving in, in office. I think this is a new thing. Uh, the, you know, I don't think a celebrity could, could have gotten there before in that, in that environment. So are we better off now or are we better off then? <laughs> uh, well, I think a lot of ways. Uh, American, I mean, I'm not a pessimist, but I think I'm much happier in my life today. I think, uh, you know, if I were black or a woman or gay, I would definitely rather be alive today. And I think that we have a lot more opportunities. But I do think I think that it's it's challenging. And I've you know I've obviously was able to go to college and not be mired in debt. I think if you don't have a leg up, it's much more challenging today. And if you're not right. aware of of how 
like to, I, I do think that it's a lot more challenging for most people today because we don't have that uh, easy pathway where you could graduate from high school and have, uh, you know, a job that sustained you and sustained a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's been a lot of stories recently about how the uh, it's actually been uh, whites who've been dying at the highest rates at earlier ages and who are more pessimistic about the state of the country as opposed to uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of other groups who have seen a lot more opportunities open up. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, do, I do think that if you, if you see yourself as moving forward, you're going to be more optimistic. And if you see yourself and people like you uh, having a harder time of it, you're going to be a lot more pessimistic. Uh, so I guess the answer is it, it, it just depends where you are. Uh, and uh, it's, an interesting time to be around for sure. <laughs> well, Darren, I appreciate the conversation tonight. Interesting as always. And yeah. I, I would love to say that this is going to get more interesting, but I don't know how it can because it's been the most interesting election I can remember in the last 20 years. Yeah, so. I can't remember my prediction. I think the last time I predicted Rubio was going to be doing well by now, so I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about, obviously. And hard to but, believe uh, that was only a month ago. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll uh, dropped out. We yeah. actually, we actually thought these candidates were going to have some staying power, and we didn't think Trump was going to be able to make it. Yeah. So what's going to happen in another month? <laughs> yeah, well, this summer, this summer will be the big deciding factor, I guess, with the convention. But maybe it'll be uh, more clear before then. But and I and I think it's kind of appropriate that the Republican National Convention is going to be in Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I really think that 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 that's just a fitting. And why the convention for the Democrats is in Philadelphia is beyond me. Uh, I, yeah, it's I, probably a favor to somebody. I mean, sure you know, it's, we've been calling it a swing state for so long, but it really hasn't been for a presidential race in quite a while now. As they say, east and west of Pennsylvania is a strong Democrat stronghold. But it's the middle of the state that votes Republican. Yeah, James Carville said it's Philly and Pittsburgh with uh, Alabama in between. So uh, I guess uh, or Alabama, or Pennsylvania, as some people call it now. So yeah, yeah, it it all depends on who you want and um, how it's going to get there. Well, Darren, I appreciate the co- uh, the conversation tonight. Again, interesting as always, and maybe we'll do it again in another month to see where we where we've gone and where we're going. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a pleasure. (laughs) Well, you have a great night, and we'll talk to you next time. All right, you too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Again, Darren Christopher, uh, my political guru, known Darren for almost, what, 17 years now. And um, interesting insight coming from um, a younger perspective, me being an old guy almost in my 50s. It's hard to say that, but <laughs> coming from someone that's in his 30s, it makes it interesting to hear that whole perspective and also him working in the in the Beltway of D.C. It also gives him a, a better insight of what's happening down there, plus he uh, pays a little bit more attention to it than most of us do on a daily basis. But anyhow, that's going to wrap up a Hoot Nanny for tonight. Remember the phone number is 724-444-7444-1832 is the TalkCast ID number next week. Good Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise. We'll have Glenn Heller, formerly of WPQR and WASP-FM, as we talk about the uh, golden days of radio in Fayette County. Okay, not that gold, about 20 years ago. But we'll be talking to him the following week. 
Fingers crossed. We'll do it one more time. We're going to bring Joe Simon in, formerly of WMBS Radio. He'll be talking to us about his days there in the late 80s and 90s, and then it will just be you and me. <laughs> We're just having a good old time. Thank you for joining me tonight. Really appreciate it, guys. I am out of here. If you like the show, tell a friend. If not, it was a bad thing of your imagination. And everybody, you have a safe and pleasant weekend. We'll be back in next Friday night, 11 o'clock, here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. You've just gone online, online. with Bill Alexander. For more information and to download this program as a podcast, go to onlinewithbillalexander.com. Online with Bill Alexander is a million-dollar baby production in association with TalkShoe.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.